0: There was a British theologian in the 20th century who was once asked by a group of his students what book he would bring if he was ever stuck on a deserted island. Now everybody they expected him to say, well, well, of course it's going to be the Bible. He, he's a theologian after all. But instead he paused and he thought and he said that he would want to bring a copy of Thomas's Practical or Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. When when you're trapped on an island, you don't want a book that will inspire you or or bring you comfort. You want a book that will help you get off the island and get home. Now, a lot of people, a lot of us, when we approach the Bible, we we approach it as something that's inspirational or something that's, that's comforting, And for generations, whether through felt boards or or videos, we found different ways to to teach Scripture and to to try to make sure it's engaging with with people of all ages and at all stages. Now, I think we can definitely say that the Bible is inspiring and that the the Bible is comforting and, and parts of it might even be entertaining if it's taught in one way or the other. But it has to be so much more than that. Now, if you're tuning in this morning to church, I'm guessing that you're not trapped on a a deserted island. And if you are, turn off this video and call someone for help. But each of us, each of us is trapped in some way by something. Right right now, to, to a certain degree, we're all held captive. But by this pandemic. And the way we approach the the things that try to trap us, whether it's our thoughts or our our behaviors or something external, the the way that we approach those things, they can either lead us toward growth or into deeper despair. Throughout the story of Scripture, we see that God deeply longs to, to free his people from the things that hold them captive. The grand narrative of the Bible reminds us over And over and over again that that God loves us and that God longs us to live as the people that God created us to be. So so we need to familiarize ourselves with that story. It's the whole reason we need to take the discipline of studying scripture seriously. One of the most uh, important or poignant conversations that Jesus had during his ministry is, it's recorded in in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. He's talking with a crowd that's essentially full of church people. There are are people who spent the majority of their lives around the synagogue. Some of them followed Jesus. They they, they were people who considered themselves to be his disciples. They wanted to hear what, what he had to say. But others weren't quite on on board yet. They, They were just interested. And then there was a third group that was adamantly against him. They were arguing about who he was, his identity. And he turns to the folks in the crowd who believed him, his disciples, his followers. And he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, it's a line that's often quoted out of the Bible. It's often misrepresented as well. But, but at the heart of what Jesus is saying here is his desire for his followers to experience true freedom. And that experience comes through the knowledge of truth. That's what Jesus says. We're not set free by perfect church attendance. by by good works or or by some fleeting emotional high that we we get when we hear our our favorite worship song. It's truth. All of the disciplines we're talking about this summer are important for spiritual growth. But in some ways, they all hang on what we talked about last week and what we're exploring, exploring today. Listening for God's voice through meditating and studying God's word. What we do... How we spend our time, how we invest our resources, it stems directly from what we we think about. So my son, my son who's five, he is obsessed with Star Wars right now. It may or may not have been influenced by dad, okay. It definitely was influenced by dad. But most of the day, he's either thinking about Star Wars, he's talking about Star Wars, he's looking for his lightsaber, he's watching Star Wars Legos, he's building Star Wars Legos, or or, or he's, he's playing Star Wars in one way, shape, or form. His thoughts and his actions are completely connected. It's something that is true for all of us. What you think about is connected to what you do throughout the day. So we study God's word, so our, our thoughts and our actions would be shaped by God's word. The, the goal is that when I think about things in my life like relationships or or my family or how we're going to raise our kids or money or recreation or politics, even politics, that we think about it through the lens of Scripture. And and I think at this point it's important to say that if, if Scripture doesn't challenge us in each of those areas, if it just reinforces what we already think, our Bibles are too small. We're not looking at the whole story. Scripture should challenge us. There's at least two places where the Apostle Paul makes it clear that having our minds shaped for God's purpose is incredibly important. In the beginning of Romans chapter 12, he's urging the church to live in a particular way, a way that pleases God. And that starts with knowing the difference between what the world offers and what, what God offers. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul writes this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what we spend our time thinking about. What do we spend our time thinking about? Do our thoughts put us toward transformation? Does it pull us towards transformation? Or do they, they lead us somewhere else? For Paul, making all things new, renewing our minds, it is a constant commitment to growth. In some ways, the goal of this discipline is the same, is, is the same goal that I mentioned last week with meditation, where we strive to attach ourselves to God's purpose and to God's will. But it's also a, a little different. Richard Foster, who I mentioned last week as well, he describes the difference between studying and meditation in in this way. He says, meditation is devotional. Study is analytical. Although meditation and study, they often overlap. They constitute two distinct experiences. Study provides a certain objective framework within which meditation can successfully function. So the disciplines of study and meditation, they go hand in hand with one another. And depending on how you are wired, sitting in silence and listening might be where you thrive. It also might be really hard. For others, digging and asking questions, it comes naturally. And for some of us, asking questions is really hard. But we can't ignore that both disciplines are important. In Paul's concluding words to the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter four, he connects knowledge with action. He, he writes this, Philippians four, uh, verses eight and nine. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovingly, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The goal of building up our our knowledge isn't so that we can prove other people's wrong or or so we can somehow win an argument, prove how smart we are. Um, It's so that we can be equipped to actually do what the Bible asks us to do. One of the most poignant illustrations of the importance of studying God's word, it comes from the first passage that we looked at this morning, that passage that Haley read out of Deuteronomy. Now, Moses, he often talked about loving God with all of who we are, with our entire person. And Jesus constantly echoed that truth, putting God first and neighbor second with everything else falling into line after that. God first, neighbor second, and then everything else. Now, most first century Jews, they were well aware of this commandment. And they also knew that those who consider themselves students of God's law had tools necessary, to, had the tools necessary to keep God's word uh, at the forefront of their minds. So Deuteronomy, it reminds the people to keep God's word in their, their hearts and in their minds tying them to their, their hands and, and placing them on their, their foreheads. Now, now the words that Deuteronomy is talking about here, it, 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 it's a prayer that's called the, the Shema. It's right out of Deuteronomy chapter six. And the words say this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It was a phrase that, that most who went to synagogue in the first century, that they, they knew it inside and out. It was a guide that, to all that they did to transform their thoughts each and every moment of the day. Their thoughts into action. Now there's a couple of things we, we need to see with the words, th- these words here that we find in Deuteronomy. The word that we, we translate as love, it, it, it means complete commitment or, or complete allegiance. Nothing, nothing was to be more important than their covenant commitment to Yahweh. And the second important thing we need to see is, is the order of, of what's listed. We, we see heart, we see soul, and we see strength. Now, for the Hebrew person, the heart wasn't just where their emotions sat and in the, in their, in their mindset. It's where one's will or one's, one's mind resided. So it's the word that describes the whole inner being. The soul carry the, the, the connection of, of what we, we think, what we kind of feel in our, our gut. It's, it's So so it's what we feel in our gut. It's a place where our desires are shaped. And lastly, in the, in the Hebrew world, uh, the, the, the word for strength, it meant our resources. It's not just physical strength. It included physical strength, but it also meant economic strength, our possessions, what we own. So this prayer, the Shema, it, it asks for allegiance to God first, and then works from the inside, from what we think, out to what we do, and what we have, and how we act. These were to be the first words they uttered in the morning, and the last words they said before they went to bed. They were memorized at a young age, and they were hung all over their homes, written on their doorposts and on their gates. Now, now, we might not go to those same types of extremes. Maybe, maybe we will. But, but we need to keep God's word in front of us. If we're going to allow scripture to shape us, to transform us from our minds to our desires out to our resources, we have to keep scripture in front of us. In that same Richard Foster book that I, I quoted earlier, he gives four steps for, for the discipline of studying. And and these four steps I echo some of the the steps that we looked at last week with with meditation. So they'll they'll sound familiar to you. So the the first step is is repetition. Now, really, repetition is at the heart of of any discipline. Think about it. Whenever you start a new habit, something like maybe eating healthier, getting up and going to the gym or or exercising every day. When you start that new habit at the beginning, it takes Extra work. You have to set your alarm every morning at 6 a.m. And it's hard to get up. But over time, the the thing that once took a lot of time, it begins to become more automatic. We're we're kind of nudged into this new routine. So maybe for you, it's a commitment to memorizing scripture. Maybe a a passage a week, a passage a month, or or something like that. Or, Or maybe it's a commitment to reading your Bible. For five minutes or ten minutes each and every day. If we are going to claim that God's word shapes our lives, we need to spend at least as much time reading it as we do reading all of the other stuff that's out there. And the second step of studying is concentration. Concentration. And now if you're anything at all like me, this is the hardest part of, of studying. I remember trying to study when I was in high school and having my mind wander all over the place. I was like the dog and up where, he, you know, he's, he's talking and he's just a squirrel and his mind goes a totally different direction. So my mind wandered from, from weekend plans to, to music to the shoes that the person sitting next to me was wearing. There are distractions all around us. And if staying focused when you open your Bible is hard for you, I'll give you a quick tip that's helped me over the years. Um, I I set an alarm clock. I set an alarm clock for anywhere between 20 and 25 minutes because that's the amount of time that most researchers say adults can stay focused. And I close everything else around me except whatever it is that I'm reading or whatever it is I'm doing. I even do this when I write sermons. Nothing else but, but sermon for 20 to 30 minutes and that's it. And maybe it's not 20 minutes for you. Maybe that's, that's too long to start. Maybe it's 10. But I want to encourage you to try to turn everything around you off for a set amount of time and just sit with your Bible. Read it. Just focus on it for a set amount of time. The third step that foster this is, is comprehension. This is the place where we connect the dots. It comes as we move from forcing ourselves into the routine to actually understanding what it is that we're reading. It often comes with the help of other people. So maybe a pastor or through reading a commentary or from learning in a small group together. In the passage that we read from John 8 earlier that I mentioned, when Jesus talks about truth setting us free, he's talking about comprehension. It's it's moving to an understanding about something that's so hard to comprehend that once you do, it's living it out from all that you do. It's what happens when you read something over and over again and you don't get it. And for whatever reason, on that 500th time, for whatever reason, it clicks and you say, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, the last step is, is reflection. Comprehension is about what we're studying, and reflection is about how what we study changes us. This is the place where we're studying and and meditation collide. So Jesus, he, he often talked about people who heard him but didn't understand, or those who saw what he did but still didn't believe. When we reflect on what we're studying and how we might fit into the picture, and what we're studying might fit into the picture, what we, we, we hear or we see in a new way. And it's at that point, it's at that point that all that we think and all that we do begins to be shaped by God's word. Now, I didn't really learn how to study well until after my first semester of college. The, the, the wake-up call when I didn't get the GPA I needed to, to hold a scholarship. It, it was at that moment that I realized I needed a new discipline. I, I needed something new. I needed to change my habits. Now, my guess is some of us here today are in that same spot with our spiritual lives. We need something new. We need to begin a new routine, launch into a new habit. So my encouragement to you is to spend some time building those habits this week. Let's pray. Gracious God, may we be a people who are shaped by your word. May may the Bible transform us into the people that you have called us to be as we love you and as we love our neighbors. We pray these things in your name. Amen.